Amen. Now, if you would take your Bibles and turn to the very first book of the New Testament, to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. There is a phrase that if you were to Google the phrase, you would find 1.2 billion results. I'll start the phrase, and you repeat it. You are what you eat, all right? You are what you eat, or will, you know, you are what you choose, you are what you think, you are what you love, you are what you do, you are what you eat. Had an interesting experience over the holidays. Um, uh, we came to dinner one night, and Julie had served us uh, what are called Crispitos. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Crispitos. They are loved by students all over the world. You can find Crispitos in school cafeterias. You can find them in restaurants. You can find them in food trucks. You can find them at state fairs where they fry Twinkies. Okay? They are tortillas that are filled with delicious fillings. In fact, Tyson Foods sells them in packs of 72. And although the box describes the ingredients, I believe the name should be changed. I no longer believe that they should be called Crispitos. I think that they should be named Little Demons. When I came to the dinner table, and the boys were there, and we saw these things, I said, what, what are we having for dinner tonight? And one of the boys said, hey, Crispitos. And I said, what's a Crispito? All right, so then my boys started laughing. Julie started laughing. I laughed even a little bit myself. But I don't mind telling you that about two or three hours later, I was not laughing. In fact, no kidding, dear ones, in fact, I spent the night sleeping in my recliner. And about 2.30 in the morning, I was about to get up and go wake up my wife because I knew something was seriously wrong. I thought I'm having a gallbladder attack. Then my mind started running to, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's kidney stones or maybe it's pancreatitis or maybe even a heart attack. It was only the next morning when I realized I had had a Crispito attack. <laughs> Parents, if you love your children, avoid those things. And better yet, if you love yourself, never eat them again. You are what you eat. Google it. 1.2 billion results. Or maybe the phrase, you are what you choose. 3.1 billion results. Or maybe even the phrase, you are what you think. 3.95 billion results. You are what you love. 11.6 billion results. But, 
If you Google, you are what you do. Over 14 billion results. And the reason why what you do is so popular is because it's wrapped up in what we're going to be focusing on as a church in 2019. If you went to Java Jolt, you were going to do a little survey. So you're going to hang out at Java Jolt all day. So you're at the Jolt, and when people walk in, you're just going to randomly ask individuals as they come in, what is Christianity all about? And when you ask that question, you're going to get a variety of answers. Help your fellow man. Going to church. Obeying the Ten Commandments. Following the Golden Rule. Praying. Being a good person. In fact, if you ask the average church member, they might give even some of the same answers. Why? Because Christianity is often defined in terms of externals. Church, who you and I are becoming is far more important than what we are doing. Who you and I are becoming is far more important than what we are doing. Our theme is multiply. We're going to be spending much of 2019, thinking along the lines of being disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. So it's imperative when we start the year that we lay the kind of foundation that is absolutely essential. In fact, it is foundational to our understanding of what it means to be a disciple. I mean, the term is defined in many ways. A disciple is a student or an apprentice. A disciple is one who is devoted to learning the ways and following the example of a teacher or a master. A disciple is simply a follower. I wonder what Jesus would say to us about disciple-making. I wonder what Jesus would say to us about what a disciple is. A disciple is one who hears the call of Jesus and follows him. A disciple is one who hears the call of Jesus and follows him. In our text today, in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So verse 17 begins with the phrase, from that time. Right After 30 years of waiting, after 30 years of anticipating, it is now time for Jesus to begin. This is the official beginning of the ministry of Jesus. From that time, right from the time that he was born, from the time that he grew, from the time that he was baptized, from the time that he was tempted in the wilderness, and now from the time that John the Baptist is imprisoned, the forerunner is imprisoned and facing certain execution, now Jesus begins his ministry. And he begins in Galilee. In fact, if you've ever been to the Galilean region, right, you picture in your mind the Sea of Galilee. If you're standing on the southern end of the Sea of Galilee, right, where the Jordan River flows, um, you're going to be standing on the southern edge of the Sea of Galilee looking at a sea that's about 50 miles long, about 25 miles wide. Josephus, in fact, who is an early church historian, tells us that in the first century, in the time of Jesus, there were a little over 200 villages around the Sea of Galilee. And Josephus adds that not a single one of those villages had less than 15,000 people. So you're talking about, right, in this sea that's 50 miles and 25 miles, you're talking about 3 million people in villages all around the Sea of Galilee. So now, Jesus has been baptized. He has been tempted by the devil in the wilderness. John the Baptist has been imprisoned, and now Jesus begins his ministry. And notice what Jesus begins by doing. He begins by preaching. He begins by proclaiming. He's a herald. He's a communicator. He begins by setting forth the agenda of God. And as he does so, notice that the text says he began to preach. He began to proclaim, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the first thing that Jesus tells them to do is to repent, and the second is the reason why they should repent. So what does it mean to repent? Very simply, it means you're a sinner and you turn from it. To repent means to change your life. To repent means to be Converted, it means to turn around, it means to become a part of God's kingdom. The word repent means total change. Total change. So like when we have uh, those who follow in believers' baptism, right, we give them t-shirts. And on that t-shirt it says, God has made me new. And it's based on 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Right? The old is gone. That's the picture of repentance. It is a total life change. 
Repentance is more than sorrow, right? It's about changing your life. It's about changing your purpose. It's about changing your opinions. It's about changing your direction. It is a change in the heart that leads to a change in your life. So it's very basic. You cannot come to Jesus Christ apart from repentance. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And at the end of his message, the people who heard him, they were stirred. The Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. And they were like, what should we do? How should we respond to the preached word of God? And Peter said, it's very simple. You've got to repent. And then you've got to show the world that you've repented by following Him. And that's what believers' baptism is all about. What is the great motivation for repentance? What does Jesus say? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, So here, with the appearance of Jesus, we are confronted head-on with two things. We are confronted with a total life change that is absolutely essential and necessary in order to be a Christ follower. And we are confronted with the fact that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so with the appearance of Jesus, we are confronted with the kingdom of heaven. We are confronted with the rule and reign of God. Right? That's what the kingdom of heaven means. It is the rule and reign of God. So you see, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right now, how does the rule and reign of God manifest itself? It does so in your life. You see, when you repent, when you turn from your sin, what happens? What happens is that the Spirit of God comes and takes up permanent residence in your life. Right? Having believed, we're marked in Him, Paul says in Ephesians 1, with a seal with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. So we experience the rule and reign of God right now in the lives of every single man, woman, boy, and girl who turns from sin and places personal faith in Jesus Christ. Right? We experience the rule and reign of God in our churches as the Spirit of God moves among us and as we seek to be what Christ has called us to be, right? So now we experience the rule and reign of God knowing that a day is ahead. A day is, and I might add, soon at hand when Jesus Christ will come and reign on the earth. Amen? We know that that day is headed. But until that day comes, we experience the reign of God in our lives. It has not come yet when Jesus reigns on the earth. It has not come yet when the lion and the lamb lay down in perfect peace. But that day is coming. 
And until that day comes, we have the reign of the Messiah in our lives. When we turn from sin and self and turn to someone, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, we experience the rule and reign of God in our lives. This is the way Mark puts it in his gospel. In Mark 1, it says, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now you notice Mark makes sure we understand that repentance is always complemented by belief. Right? So what you have in Mark's gospel is that you have repentance and you have belief and they are inextricably connected. And it's imperative that we understand that. Listen, you can believe in Jesus without ever turning from your sin and thus experiencing new life. Doesn't the Bible tell us even the demons believe and they tremble? So it's important as we begin a new year, as we think about a disciple who hears the call of Jesus and follows him, it is important that we understand that repentance and belief in the gospel. That means a belief in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Belief in the gospel. Radical change that demands a radical obedience. In Jesus' day, anyone who wanted to become a student would seek out a respected rabbi that they wanted to learn from. Right? So their allegiance, though, was not necessarily to the rabbi. Their allegiance was to the law. You know why their allegiance was to the law and not to the Lord? Doesn't the Bible teach us in Genesis 1 that when God made man, God made us in His image? You know why God made us in His image? God made us in His image so that we would know Him. So that we would walk with Him. So that we would reflect Him to the world. But when did that shift occur? A shift occurred in Genesis 3. When Satan comes and begins to say to Adam and Eve, Did God really say? And so what does he do? He subtly begins just twisting the truth, deceiving them into believing a lie that is still so popular this very day. It is a lie of believing that life, even eternal life, is a list of do's and don'ts. And in this grand deception, Satan folds out his plan over the world. And it is in this midst, it is in this world of deception, that Jesus comes and addresses it head on. When he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he says, repent and believe in the gospel. 
You remember the parable that we studied last summer on the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18? Right? The Pharisee focused on what he did, and the Pharisee focused on what others didn't do. The Bible says in Luke 18, verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers, or even like this guy, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. In other words, the Pharisee in the satanic system that had grown from Genesis 3, he was focused on himself. He was focused on doing. The tax collector, though, was focused on a right relationship with God. The Bible says in verse 13, the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee began with do, and as a result, he never made it to God. The sinner, the tax collector, began with no. Not N-O, K-N-O-W. Let me recommend a great book to you. Alan Thompson wrote a book a couple of years ago entitled, and get this, No, Be, Do. No, Be, Do. And he addresses in the entirety of the book the grand deception of Satan. Satan's deception is this. Do. Do. Focus on what you are doing. Like the dear lady just last week who said to me, I'm doing a good job. I'm striving to be a good person. I'm striving to do this and to do that. And the grand illusion of Satan is that you keep focusing on what you do and maybe if you do enough, you can know God and then be the kind of person you want to be. And Alan Thompson's entire premise is that's not the gospel. The gospel begins with relationship. The gospel begins with know. Know Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Him. Be a reflector once again of the image of God to the world. And because you know Christ, because you are focusing on who He wants you to be, you will now do those kinds of things, not in the hopes of attaining eternal life, but because you know you already possess eternal life. It's a great book, and I hope that you'll read it. But let me just ask you a question this morning, dear ones. Are you living an upside-down life? Is the focus of your life more on what you do and less on who you know when it comes to being a follower of God? If your focus has been on doing, aren't you weary 
of the frustration and futility and failure of always doing, but yet deep down inside in the deepest recesses of your hearts, you go to bed every single night placing your head on the pillow wondering, have I done enough? Did you know today, church, every world religion outside of Christianity has the exact same focus. Every single one. Every world religion outside of Christianity has as its focus. Let me give you a term. It's called autosoterism. And simply put, it means this. Self-salvation. Every single world religion apart from Christianity is all focused on what you do. And now Jesus comes. And he turns a world that's upside down, right side up. And that's the gospel. Jesus is looking for disciples who will give total allegiance to him. Jesus is looking for men and women who will commit to Him, who will learn from Him, who will deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Him. Jesus is looking for those who understand their salvation call is a grace call, right? It's by grace that we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Well, let's go back to chapter 4. So Jesus' response is repent. Mark adds and believe in the gospel. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And notice the phrase, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here is the evidence that a disciple is someone who hears the call of Jesus and follows him. And notice, Jesus does not tell them to improve their moral character. Jesus does not tell them, right, go out and get your life cleaned up. Go out and be accepted socially. No, Jesus comes to them right where they are and he says, come. Come right now. Come just as you are. Come right now. And I will make you, and notice this, church, fishers of men. You know what Jesus is teaching us today? Jesus is teaching us that ours is a life-saving mission. That the mission of the church is the work of fishing men out of the sea of sin. The work of rescuing people from the grip of hell is the greatest work the church will ever do. The greatest work in the heart of God the greatest concern in the call of Christ to his disciples and the heart of discipleship is right here. This is our mission. Fishers of men. 
Here's the way the Great Commission puts it. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Jesus made sure everybody knew what is our mission was also his mission. Didn't Jesus say, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost? Kerry Newhoff recently wrote, he said, churches that overfocus on the needs of insiders will eventually only have insiders. And when that happens, you've missed the mission. When our focus is on us and not on those who have yet to be reached with the precious gospel, then we have missed our mission. Let me share something with you that I got on Friday, and I want you to just hear my heart for a minute. Please don't hear this as just the pastor's just self-serving. That's not my objective. This was not in my manuscript, but I felt like it was uh, very fitting for today. I, I am something that younger millennials may not know anything about. It's called Facebook, all right? Um, if you're over the age of, you know, 40, uh, man, Facebook is your friend, right? And you go to it, you connect with people. Uh, younger people just prefer face-to-face. Let's sit down at the jolt over a cup of coffee. No, we've got to do it on Facebook. Well, on Friday morning, uh, when I got up Friday morning and um, just doing some things around the house, when I went on Facebook, I had a friend request from a lady by the name of Rebecca Lynn. Now, when I get a friend request, and I don't know who they are, uh, right, I go to their Facebook page before I confirm, um, just to make sure, you know, this is a legitimate request. And so I go, and when I do, I find out it's somebody from Ohio County in Kentucky, which is where I'm from. And so I thought, well, maybe I preached in their church or something, you know, uh, maybe they know my family and still have two brothers and a sister that live there by my mom and dad and, and thought that that was it. So I confirmed the friend request. And then about three, by 9.30 Friday morning, I got this message, and I want to share it with you. It says, hi, Derek, my name is Rebecca Bratcher. I used to be Rebecca Wagstaff. Me and the little girl across the street, Debbie Riley, came to Small House Baptist Church. Now, by the way, that's the first church I pastored when God called me to preach. So I started pastoring there in September of 1980. I was 19 years old. Um, and um, she said, do you remember me? If not, it's okay. And then she said, I, I just wanted you to know that you were my first taste of who God is. And I want to thank you and let you know that I am well. I'm married to a wonderful man who has an amazing faith, and we attend a wonderful church. We're a blessed family. We're a blended family with a total of seven children, and four of them have already come to know the Lord, and we are still praying and working on the other three. And She said, I just wanted to thank you for stopping and picking me up for church when I was a little girl. Sometimes people may go through their whole life wondering if they did anything at all to ever help anyone. 
And I want you to know I'm a Christian saved by a grace I did nothing to deserve, by a Savior who covered my sins with the blood from the nails that my sins drove. And my service to God started many years ago with a young, and by the way, nobody calls me young anymore, with a young upstart preacher who opened his heart to set me on a path. And I just want to say thank you. And I want you to know that when I go to heaven, I'm taking five with me. I still have work to do, but thank you for doing the Father's will. Church, every community, every community is filled with little girls just like that. Maybe they have a mom and a dad that don't attend church, but they're okay if their kids go. There are people like that all over our community, not, not just children, teenagers, adults, college students. I was thinking... She made the statement, you were my first taste of who God is. Can I ask you today, who will say that about you? At Southern Baptist, there is a major agenda for 2019 that our church will participate in along with over 40,000 other churches, and it's simply entitled, Who's Your One? And I would ask you right now, Who's your Rebecca? Who's my Rebecca? Whose life will be radically altered because we took the time to love on them, to pray for them, to invite them, to bring them, and to guide them so that they could hear the call of Jesus and follow Him. I need to finish. A disciple is someone who not only hears the call of Jesus and follows Him, a disciple is someone who looks like Jesus. In Luke 6.40, the verse that Greg read for us earlier, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, dear ones, please hear my heart. I love you. I count it one of the great honors of my life to be your pastor. Today marks the start of my 13th year in Jacksonville. I'm praying for 13 more. But I would ask you this morning to look at your life. Because Jesus himself said, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he or she is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Can I just ask you to evaluate your own heart? Because honestly, if you're not like Jesus today, 
Are you truly a disciple? If you don't look like Jesus today, can you honestly say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a friend? As we approach a new year, I hope that you will remember more than anything else before you think about what you do in 2019. Please think about who you are. Before you think about what you want to do, think about who you are, who you are becoming. In your Bible study classes that you're going to this morning, I would encourage you to really think about this. Up to this point in your life, would you call yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus? And if you say yes, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? I mean, as you look at your life, how would you say that your love for God is seen by your actions? And finally, can I ask all of you today, whether you're a member or a guest, young or old, I don't care. What is holding you back from following Jesus today? What is holding you back from following Jesus today? And I promise you, whatever it is, you'll never, ever regret letting it go and letting God be God in your life. Will you pray with me this morning?